Hi, my name is Gita Neufeld, and it is indeed my pleasure and privilege to be learning the book of Daniel with you. The book of Daniel is one of the most puzzling books of Tanakh, both because of its content, which refers to messianic visions, eschatological visions, that means the end of days, um, historical visions, which are difficult to interpret, as well as because of its language, since half the book is written in Aramaic, and most of us are not conversant in that as our day-to-day -day language. So our challenge will be to go through the book to try to understand the pshat, the literal meaning, and possibly some of the historical allusions which we see. Now, most people are familiar with the first half of the book. The book can be divided into two halves, almost equal, chapters 1 through 6 being the Sefer HaMaasim, the book of stories or anecdotes, which are stories that happened to Daniel, dreams of the Babylonian kings which came true in his lifetime. The second half we can call the Sefer HaChezionot, the book of visions, which refers to a more distant future. The time span of the first half, the storyline, takes place from the Vuchadnezar's capture of Yehoiakim until Belshazzar loses his kingdom to Darius the Mede, basically the time period that's described in general history as the Neo-Babylonian Empire. Most of this section is written in Aramaic because that was the official language of the Neo-Babylonian Empire. And the primary theme that we will see in these stories is the concept of Kiddush Hashem, sanctifying God's name, and Jewish identity. For example, we all know the famous story of Daniel and the lion's den. That's a story that comes from this section. The structure is it begins and ends with a nisayon, with a test to Daniel, and it also begins and ends with mentions of the city Yerushalayim. The second half of the book or the sub-book of Chezionot, of Visions, is also structured in an opening and closing inclusio, Chatimami in Pticha, where we have four animals, with the largest, last one being the most horrifying, and the entire book of Visions ends with four kingdoms, and the fourth kingdom and its fate. A theme that we will see throughout the book over here is the theme of justice, as well as the idea that this is the distant future. It's therefore written in Hebrew, mainly, because it's not relevant to the current situation. Daniel sees these visions, but he doesn't even understand them. He asks people to explain them to him, and by people, I mean angels. As we go through the book, we will notice again and again rep repeated fours and sevens, and it's interesting to try to keep track of that as we go through. There were also calculations of the ends of days, but the Gemara tells us that somebody who tries to calculate the end of days will be confounded. So we're not going to try that hard. So in conclusion, this book stresses future historical concepts of four kingdoms. It stresses Hashem's rulership over time. And this really echoes what Yishayah Nabi says when he calls God Kore Hadorot Mirosh, the one who calls out, who designates the generations from the beginning. Now, who is Daniel the person? According to the Gemara and Sanhedrin, he came from the noble family. But the question is, was he a Navi? The Rambam in the Moreh states that um, Daniel was not, and I will read you a section from Moreh Nebuchim, chapter 2, section 45. In the second level, it will be as though a state falls upon him. A force is born, and it causes him to speak. And he speaks in wisdom, or praises, or effective instruction in practical or divine matters. All this is when he is awake, and his senses are functioning normally. This is what is described as speaking with divine inspiration, Ruach HaKodesh. This was the divine inspiration with which David composed Psalms, Solomon composed Proverbs, Ecclesiastes and Song of Songs, Tehillim, 
sorry, Tehillim that David composed, Mishlei, Kohelet, and Shira Shirim that Shlomo composed, and Daniel, and Job, and Chronicles, and the rest of the writings. These were composed with this kind of divine inspiration. They are called Kituvim, writings, for they were written with divine inspiration. So according to the Rambam, Daniel was not a prophet, he was divinely inspired. It should be noted that the Septuagint, the Targum HaShivim, includes the book of Daniel in the section of Nevi'im. Was he an Avi? Well, some Nevi'im also have books in Ketuvim. For example, Yirmiyahu Navi has his book in Navi, but he also wrote Icha. Shmuel also wrote the book of Ruth. So how is Daniel different from other Nevi'im? Well, first of all, he has no explicit shlichut, mission, or command to convey his mission. In fact, he's even told, twice at least in the book, to conceal it. Despite the growing, glowing descriptions of Daniel within the book, he is never called a Navi. He never tells us that Hashem spoke directly to him. He sees angels, and the dreams that he has are personal and not national. When he asks for an explanation, as the Chayyah Navi did most famously in the Haftarah of Shabbat Chanukah, the angel doesn't give him an explanation. His dreams never use the name of God. Only Daniel uses it when he's speaking to Hashem in prayer. His visions are not called Nivu'ah or Masah, which are words that would commonly be used to describe a prophecy. He's the only person in Tanakh who sees angels that call him by name. And he's never told that he should speak for them, we're never told that he speaks to B'nai Israel or that he advocates for them as a leader. And he also has no admonition or direct, directives for the people, which is the primary purpose of a Navi. So according to that, we could conclude that he was not really a Navi. The Gemara in Megillah also says that he was not a Navi, describing the difference between him and Chagai, Zechariah, and Melachi. If you're interested, it's Megillah 3a. The Zohar says he wasn't a Navi because he lived in the Chutz Laaretz. He lived outside the land of Israel. However, the Abarbanel, who usually marches to his own beat, says that he was a Navi and he had a Hasaga Nivuit Eliona, a great high level of prophecy. Like Yaakov Avinu, he cannot reveal the end of days. If you recall, Yaakov wanted to reveal the end of days when he called his children together to bless them at the end of the book of Bereshit. He says to them, And suddenly he loses all divine inspiration, according to the Gemara and Psachim. Daniel also wants to reveal what will happen at the end of the days, and he is told explicitly by the angel, don't. Daniel has a unique relationship with the divine. In Shira Shirim we read, I searched for that, for he or she, whom my soul loved. And the Midrash Rabbah says, Daniel. This is Daniel. He was an important person, and he was a beloved person to God. However, he was not, it seems to be, a Navi. Now, one primary thing that we will see and will be very tempted to do in the, in, the, in the book, in the study of the book, is that we will want to understand these calculations of when the end of time will happen. I refer you to the Gemara in Sanhedrin, pages 97 to 99, where there are all these descriptions of countings and when Mashiach will come and how do we figure it out. And I just want to quote Rabbi Shmuel Bar Nachmani, who said in the shame of Rabbi Yonatan, blasted be the bones of those who calculate the end. 
For they would say, since the predetermined time has arrived and he has not yet come, he will never come, referring to the Mashiach. But even so, we wait for him, as it is written, although he tarries, we wait for him. Should you say, we look forward to his coming, but Hashem does not, therefore the scripture tells us Hashem does as well. So we will try to avoid the temptation to calculate when Mashiach will come and just hope that it will come bimhera biyamenu. Daniel himself, in fact, it says in Baramigila, made a mistake in trying to figure out when the end of days will happen. Who wrote the book? According to the Gemara in Sanhedrin, it was Daniel. According to the Gemara in Bava Batra, which serves as a source for us, for the authorship of all the books of Tanakh, we are told the Anshei Knesset Hagdola wrote it, the men of the Great Assembly, who were the leaders of the Jews upon their return to Zion after the 70 years of Babylonian exile. We can possibly reconcile this by saying that half of it was written by Daniel, the second half where he describes those personal, intimate visions that he had, and the first half was written by Anshei Knesset Hagdolah, and in fact, we can have a textual support for that because it is written in the third person as if they're describing somebody else and what happened. Let's just take a few minutes to look at the chronology. According to Sefer Yirmiyahu, and um, Nebuchadnezzar rises to greatness in the fourth year of the king Yehoiakim. According to the book of Daniel, Nebuchadnezzar comes to Yerushalayim in the third year of Yehoiakim. Rashi translates this, explains this, based on Seder Olam as being the third year of Yehoiakim's rebellion. The Abarbanel and the Ibn Ezra, however, say no, it's just there were different dating systems. It's important to realize for one moment that many, many of these dates will be confusing if you use the Seder Olam chronology. Seder Olam is a Tanaic creation written after the destruction of the Second Temple, which serves as a historical resource for traditional commentaries. However, it does not align with what we know about standard chronology. There's a difference of about 165 to 170 years, mainly dealing with the Persian Empire, because Seder Olam only only encounters four or five Persian kings, and we do know that the Persian dynasty was longer. That's a topic for an entirely different class, but I'm going to avoid giving dates so that we don't get confused. Okay, so what's happening here? We have Yoshiyahu, who was the last independent king of Yehuda. Um, he, uh, there was a collapse of the Assyrian Empire during his time, so he was able to expand the boundaries to back to the Davidic dynasties, the Davidic times. He purified the Beit HaMikdash, celebrated a Pesach, and returned part of the Ten Tribes. There was a power struggle um, between the Babylonians and the Egyptians, and Yoshiahu, despite being told not to get involved, goes to battle in, um, in Megiddo, and he, uh, and he dies there. Now we have a power struggle, an internal power struggle, between Yehoahaz and Yehoiakim. Yehoahaz was Yoshiahu's younger son, but he was very popular, and therefore was crowned. And then we have Yehoiakim, who elicited help from Paro, the victor of the local geopolitical battle, and who Paro then dispo, deposes, I'm sorry, Yehoahaz and crowns Yehoiakim. Yehoahaz is imprisoned in Egypt. All this is referenced in the book of Milachim. And it's sad to see the civil war between brothers will be echoed again 
during the Second Temple era by the sons Horkinus and Aristobulus, the sons of Shlom Tzion Hamalka. Yehoiakim's name was originally Eliakim and was changed by Paronecho to Yehoiakim, really to show that he has control even over this man's name. And what I always think of is the scene in Driving Miss Daisy where she calls all her chauffeurs by the same name because she can. Yehoiakim is not a good person. The, the Tanakh tells us in Melachim Bet, particularly in Perak Chavkimel and Perak Chavdalet. Nebuchadnezzar comes to power in the fourth year of Yehoiakim. Yehoiakim is able to hold his own for three years, and then he rebels um, against the king. In the third year of the rebellion, which is 11, his 11th year of kingship, okay, he dies. And we know that from Dibre Hayamim. Therefore, he's not taken to Babel. His son, Yehoiachin, also known as Yehonia, is crowned in his place and is taken into prison Three, day, three months later, along with the nobility children of, 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 um, of Yehuda, as long as with the people of his court, and that is really setting the stage for what's going to happen now as we begin the book of Daniel. I wish you all a wonderful day.